thankful for those who have used their gifts to lead us in worship today. And I'm happy to be here with you while Noel and his family are taking a well-deserved vacation. So as Ben mentioned earlier, we are continuing a sermon series entitled Give Me Jesus, where we're looking at different gospel accounts that show us different facets of the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. Because for disciples like us, disciples who live on this side of the resurrection and the ascension, when we say, give me Jesus, we're also saying, give me the Spirit. So hear now this reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 24. And this is Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. Oh, there's so much good stuff in here that one sermon could not even begin to address all these good things. But before we dig in, let's pray. Lord God, you alone are the word, and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today, and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ, our King. Amen. When I was in high school, I really struggled with math. But fortunately for me, my father has an excellent mathematical mind, and he was patient and diligent in helping me in my struggles. I can remember so many evenings when he would pull up a chair next to me, patiently explain math things to me, and then he would show me how to do it, and then he would get me to do it. And here's the strange thing that often happened. When my dad was sitting right beside me, I was able to remember what he told me and to do what he showed me. But when he left the room, I would get math dumb all over again. It was so frustrating. He would sit next to me, and I could do all math things. And when he left the room, I could do nothing. 
And it made me very anxious because often I had a math test the next day and they were not going to let him come sit down next to me in the classroom. And so what was I going to do then? And if that's how I felt in my math struggles when my dad left the room, think how the disciples feel here in their struggles as Jesus tells them that he's about to leave the world because that's the backdrop for this passage. Our text today is part of what scholars call the farewell discourse, where Jesus meets with the disciples gathered for the Last Supper the night before he is arrested and tried and crucified to speak his final words to them. And over and over in these chapters, like a grim drumbeat, he says, I am going away. I am leaving you. I no longer will be with you. Now imagine how anxious and afraid the disciples are because they're struggling. They're struggling to comprehend the calculus of the kingdom. They're struggling to get the geometry of grace. They're struggling to learn the logic of love. But for three years, they've had Jesus right there beside them to explain the kingdom and show them the kingdom, to forgive as they had been forgiven, to do justice and practice kindness and walk humbly with God to serve others as Jesus had served them, and above all, to love, to love God and their neighbors, even their enemies, just as Jesus had loved. And now, after all this counseling and comforting and helping, Jesus is leaving. And what are they going to do then? And for that matter, what are we going to do now? Because we're struggling to understand and do the kingdom, just like they were, and we've never had Jesus pull up a chair and sit next to us. And to all his anxious disciples, Jesus says to those in the passage and those present here today, relax, just relax. Yes, I am going away, but I'm also coming to you in a new and powerful way. And I can imagine the disciples hearing that and saying, wait a minute, you're coming and you're going? What exactly is Jesus talking about? Well, we know from the passage that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is so mysterious to us that an answer like that doesn't provide us with much of an answer. So let's look closely at what Jesus is saying about the Holy Spirit and what that means for disciples like us. Now, contrary to what you've been told, or what you've assumed, or what you just picked up along the way, the Holy Spirit is not a warm and fuzzy feeling in your heart. It's not an abstract energy. It's not like the force in Star Wars. The Spirit is not a power to be wielded according to our whims. That's not at all what Jesus describes in this passage. To start with, Jesus says that when he leaves, the Father will send another advocate, the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting, right? Another advocate. Well, that means that there has been an advocate already, right? And that's true. It's Jesus himself. John, the gospel writer, confirms this in one of his letters where he tells the church that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So the Spirit is another advocate, just like Jesus. The Spirit is a divine person, just like Jesus. The Spirit is a member of the Trinity, just like Jesus. 
And then Jesus describes the Holy Spirit with the Greek word parakletos, which is often anglicized into paraclete, a word that literally means one who is called to our side. Now, paraclete has a range of meanings, and that's why you'll see in many different English translations of the Bible, this word rendered as advocate, or comforter, or helper, or counselor. Now, the word paraclete encompasses all those meanings, so any one of those words standing alone is incomplete. It makes sense, then, that just as Jesus was a paraclete to the disciples, the Holy Spirit is a paraclete to us. Just as Jesus came along the disciples, alongside the disciples to advocate for them like a trusted advisor, to comfort them like a caring mother, to counsel them like a wise mentor, or to help them like a good father who would sit down next to his child so that the child could remember what he told him and do what he showed him. Scripture repeatedly makes this connection between the work of the Spirit and the work of Jesus, telling us that both Jesus and the Spirit are sent by the Father into the world. Jesus relates what he has received from the Father, but the Spirit declares what he has received from Jesus. Jesus glorifies God, the Spirit glorifies Jesus. Both teach and bear witness to the truth and expose the sin of the world, and the fallen world responds to them in the same way. They neither recognize them nor receive them. But that's not all, because the Spirit also reveals the continuing presence of Christ to the disciples. That's why Jesus says that even though he's going away, I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. And the Spirit also reveals the continuing presence of God to disciples of Christ. That's why Jesus says that those who loved me will be loved by my Father, and we will come to them and make our home with them. The Spirit is God with us to modern disciples, just as Jesus is God with us to the first disciples. And the Spirit also integrates the divine realities of truth and love. Because our fallen world often puts truth in conflict with love, and our natural minds often put truth and love in competition with one another, suggesting to us that we can't have both. We can only have one or the other, that we can't be and do both. But the Spirit puts together what the world tries to separate. And the Spirit enables us to experience the presence of Christ who is truth and the presence of God who is love. Thus the, spirit, the paraclete is the Spirit of truth who pours the love of God into our hearts. The Spirit is and does all these things just like Jesus. In his embodied and earthly ministry, Jesus was limited to one geographic location at one point in time. But upon the outpouring of the Spirit, Jesus is unleashed, and his fullness is available to every disciple in every location and in every age. The Spirit continues the work of Jesus, confirms the truth of Jesus, and communicates his continuing presence to the disciples. It's like my high school self being told, hey, in that math test tomorrow, you're going to be fine because your dad is going to be sitting right next to you in the classroom. Only it's infinitely better 
because we get Jesus. And you might be thinking to yourself, okay, that sounds amazing. The Holy Spirit, the presence and power of God in me and in us and around us, sign me up for that. Yep. So how do we get that? How do we receive the Holy Spirit? Well, you could read this passage and conclude that if we do what Jesus commands, well, then he'll give us the Spirit. Cool. So that means all we have to do is love our enemies, deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and die daily to ourselves, serve others and consider them more important than ourselves, and be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Hello, Holy Spirit. But if that's really the deal, that doesn't sound like good news to anxious disciples, does it? And it doesn't at all sound like the Jesus who said to his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And it doesn't sound like the rest of Scripture where God promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And it doesn't even match up with the promise that Jesus makes in this passage that the paraclete abides with you will be with you forever. The promise of the Spirit is not a reward for the righteous. It's not a merit badge for moral overachievers. The Spirit is not earned or deserved or achieved through performance. The Holy Spirit is a gift of grace, a gift from God. And when Jesus walked the earth, he didn't call us into rule following. He called us into relationship. He called the disciples to follow him and learn the way he lived and then live the way he loved. So Jesus is not somehow now doing an about face and offering his disciples a transactional quid pro quo saying, if you follow my commands, then, you know, maybe I'll give you a little bit of the spirit. That's like saying, hey, if you ace the math test, your dad can come hang out with you. When we make a commitment to Christ in the place of our deepest will and desire, God gives us the Spirit, the helper and counselor we need so that we can follow the two great commandments that he gave us to love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, to be sure, we can resist the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. We can get out of step with the Spirit, and we do so when we resist the Jesus way of living. Now, at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus said to the disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Pastor and Bible scholar Eugene Peterson teases out the implications of this statement when he says, the Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings out the Jesus life. We can't proclaim the Jesus truth but then live it any old way we like. Loving Jesus means loving his way of life. And following Jesus means following his way of life. When our hearts and our wills are inclined to the Jesus way and the Jesus truth, the Spirit is there to enable us to live the Jesus life. And as we keep in step with the Spirit, we're going to find that we're progressing along the Jesus way with ever-increasing joy. Now, I want to give you a picture of what that might look like in our lives. 
Dr. Tim Mackey is a pastor and Bible scholar and founder of the Bible Project. Any Bible Project people in here? It's an incredible resource, the Bible Project. Last year, Mackey set out into the Oregon wilderness around Mount Hood for a three-day spiritual retreat filled with solitude and prayer and Bible reading and hiking and trail running. And the initial part of his journey was a steep three-mile hike up the side of the mountain. So he parked his car, set off, leaned into the hill with his head down, and he plowed forward, lost in prayer and lost in thought. And after several hours, Mackie approached the first fork in the trail. And as he neared the fork, he heard and saw rustling in the bushes just off the path. So he stomped around and made some noise, but whatever was in the bushes did not run away and that's usually not a good sign. He froze, but then he began to make out into the bushes that there's, there's a person in there. Oh, there's a woman in there, and she's crouching down. And now instead of being scared, he was embarrassed, and he just tried to hustle by without her noticing. But then she popped out of the bushes, fully clothed, but popped out of the bushes, grinned at him with this huge purple smile her hands filled with berries, and she just shouted with pure joy, look at these huckleberries, they're everywhere. And sure enough, Mackie turned around, and alongside the path that he'd been walking on for several hours were the luscious, most bountiful huckleberry bushes, filled with the purplest, fattest huckleberries he had ever seen both sides of the trail, as far as the eye could see. Then he looked ahead, both sides of the fork, huckleberry bushes, as far as the eye could see. And he had never even noticed. Friends, we are surrounded by the presence of God every moment of our lives, at this very moment of our lives. We are surrounded by the fruitful, life-giving, delicious, abundant presence of Christ. And we rarely even notice. And to help us with our spiritual dullness, Jesus gives us the Spirit. And his promise of the Spirit is so important to hear it like he said it. And in order to say it correctly, I'm going to have to say it in Southern English. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give y'all another advocate to be with y'all forever. The promise of the Spirit is not just to individuals. It's not even primarily to individuals. It's to the community of faith. And this is important because the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives impacts how we are present in other people's lives. We need the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are, whose we are, and to release the loving power of Jesus through us so that we can share his ways and his truth and his life. So often we have our heads down, putting one foot in front of the other, trying to follow Jesus without ever seeing him. In those times, we need someone else to jump out of the bushes of our daily lives, grinning a purple grin because they've been tasting and seeing that the Lord is good and shouting to us in joy, Jesus, 
Jesus is everywhere, and you knew it not. We are called to be that kind of people for the world and for each other. Called to be spirit people, Jesus people, the people of the purple smile. Amen.